which involved simply walking, hiking, uh, hundreds of miles, especially in Western Africa, and uh, much of it was in uncharted areas, places where folks just don't go. And, uh, of course, when you make a trip like that, you've got to have a team. And he had a team of folks, but I was reading uh, his, his thoughts about it, and somewhere along the way, he just was disgusted and how they were uh, complaining and moaning and grumbling. And uh, somewhere along the said it, that it's like taking care of, of 13 children. It'd be so much easier just to do this by myself. And so uh, when one person gets weak, we all have to stop. And we all have to uh, moan with this one who's weak. And it slows us all down. I thought that was an interesting perspective. I, I could understand uh, some of that, knowing that when you do go with others, it, it does slow things down. Uh, but I had just recently had become familiar with the story of, of a fellow by the name of Aaron Ralston. Aaron Ralston um, had a harrowing experience and story uh, of which the movie was made about. But some of you may remember in, in 2003, uh, May 2nd, 2003, he uh, gained fame, so to speak, notoriety, uh, because... He, well, was stranded in his hike uh, in Utah mountains. And and walking and hiking through some of the gorges, he was going through a particular narrow gorge in which as he was going down, a, a rock, a boulder, uh, rolled down and pinned his arm in the in the gorge. Uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm talking about a uh, an 800 to 1,000 pound rock. And uh, the, the sad reality is that this fella, Aaron Ralston, was kind of a an avid outdoorsman, had a lot of pride in what he was doing. In fact, had uh, just narrowly escaped um, uh, a life danger uh, in, incident while skiing sometime earlier. And so he, he felt confident in what he could do. In fact, he made it a point to be by himself. He didn't tell folks where he was going. His mom was calling, didn't want to answer the phone call, didn't want to tell where he was going, in fact, just put on uh, the fridge of his roommate's uh, uh, refrigerator, going to Utah. Uh, and so it was just this serene uh, vistas, you know, when you're all by yourself, you just you're loaning it out there, and it sounds wonderful when you're capable, when you feel like you can handle things. But who on earth foresees a boulder rolling on your arm? I mean, how do you how do you plan for that? And here he was, stuck, no one knowing where he was at, and not a soul around. And so, he starts thinking through all the possibilities of how to get out of this jam, and, and nothing's coming. He stays out there one day, two days, three days, four, he stays five days. He runs out of water on Tuesday, and he finally is, escapes on Thursday, Realizing his situation, and it gets a little gross, he takes his pocket knife and cuts his arm off so he can get free. And I was listening to some of his reflections of that moment, and you can imagine, that's just, you don't think of things like that. He realized in this moment, he, said, he made this statement, all my life I was headed for this boulder. All my life I was headed for this boulder because I've lived my life so selfish. And he started thinking through of all the possibilities that could have changed the outcome and all of them usually rested on this hinge of I didn't want folks to know. And here in my privacy and my self-sufficiency, I'm stranded with this boulder. I thought, you know what, that's probably a true picture compared to the one that Michael Fay was sharing of Man, you know, these guys are just a burden. And, and, and you think about that. We don't want to share life with folks because it makes us vulnerable and we have to reveal our weaknesses. And just for the fact of the matter, I don't want to have to need people. I don't want to need people. I want to go through it on my own. And the book of Galatians Chapter 5 and especially chapter 6, he just, Paul is stating it doesn't work that way. Life doesn't work that way. 
You are headed toward a boulder that you cannot escape from. You need one another. And in chapter 5, he ends and talks about how evidently the church in Galatia, that region, the believers there, were because of the pride of their life, and we talked about the legalism that was there, how they were trusting in themselves, um, and even in their own religion, and being, whether it's Jewish, being circumcised, being uh, the, the ritual laws, and all the things of, that says, I can do it on my own, I trust in myself, and, and the effect of that is this pride that is just masked with religion. And that's the most dangerous type. The, mat, the pride that's masked in Christianity. Because that's the antidote. And now you've made the antidote of no effect. And, and, the, and the effect within the congregation, within the body, is that in Galatians 5, they are devouring one another. They're using one another for their own self. And they're criticizing, pushing down people and saying, look, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. You're not doing this right. And it's building themselves up before God. And God is saying, don't you understand? You're saved by grace. Not by how you compare to one another, but nonetheless, this church is burning one another, devouring one another, because at the root was this pride that was going on. And so Galatians chapter 6, he says, look, if you're going to be filled with the Spirit, you're going to have the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. He talks about all these things, talks about the works of the flesh, what they look like, and says, you need to understand, God's not going to include that in the kingdom of heaven. That's not part of being a believer. And then Galatians 6, he says, Brothers, you need to understand, if, if anyone's caught in transgression, if they're caught in sin, it's upon us to take that one in gentleness, considering ourselves, restore that brother or sister in Christ because we care more about Christ than whether this friendship makes us feel good. We talked about how the gospel makes humble people because we understand that we're not in this position because of what we've done, because of what Christ has done. And yet it makes us bold because our eyes are satisfied with the one that matters in Christ. And, and so we can afford, we can afford even to put a relationship at risk if we are standing with Christ. And that's an unusual mix. Humility and bold all for the purpose of loving one another. We see in Galatians 1 through 5 how that we do this, we bear one another's burden and so fulfill the law of Christ, which is the law of love that Christ himself exemplified. And so that's the idea that we looked at last week. And so now we come to verse 6 and we'll read through verse 6 through 10. I just want to share five lessons that come from this passage that speak about bearing one another. All right, The idea that we need one another. And that is a hard thing. Because it's not just my own problems, now it's the problems of people around. That somehow God has asked me to expend myself for. That's a hard thing to do. So, let's read verse 6 and read through verse 10 and see how God speaks to our heart through His Word. So let's stand as we read this together in honor of this being God's Word. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. You may be seated. When you're reading verses 1 through 10, it seems like it all is making sense, all has this theme, but then we come to verse 6, and it's like there's a whiplash. What? What? How does verse 6 relate to anything? One who's taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Okay, that sounds good. But how, what does that have to do with each having to bear his own load, fulfilling the law of Christ, and this lesson of sowing and reaping? Well, let me just present to you that as we read verse 6, Paul is given an example of what he talks about in verse 2. 
What's verse 2? Bearing one another's burden and so fulfill the law of Christ. What does that look like? To bear one another's burdens. In verse 6, he gives us one specific example of what that looks like to bear one another's burdens. And what this implies is simply this. As a congregation, as a body of Christ, Paul is saying and believing that it is critical. It is critical that there be the teaching of God's word. There is the teaching of the gospel. It is critical for the health of that body. And so to bear the body's burden then make sure that there is somebody set apart for the teaching of God's Word. And the responsibility is of such importance that let that be the primary task of what they do, which means that they've got to figure out some way to provide for the needs of themselves and their families. So the congregation come together, set that person apart for that task, provide for their means so that they can use their time and the studying and preparation and prayer and teaching of the Word of God. Because when there is good teaching of the Word of God, it helps the health of the whole body. So, bear one another's burden, and so fulfill the law of Christ. You see how this is fitting together? But I'm going to tell you there's even more that fits together when we look at this sowing and reaping, and we're going to see how it is important to have the teaching of the Word of God. So, let me just share this. What's, what's lesson number one from this pa- passage? Sharing is bearing one another, which is loving. Sharing is bearing one another's burden, which is loving. Alright? And that's the word he's using. Share all good things. The one who is taught, the one who is receiving the benefit of having the Word of God taught to them, explained to them, applied to them, if you're receiving that benefit, then share all good things with the one who teaches. Now, uh, it, it does seem a little awkward for me to be teaching this um, because it does apply to me. But, I'm to teach the Word of God. Alright? So, this just fits within the whole counsel of what the Bible teaches, and I'm just doing what you've asked me to do. Do you understand that? Okay, I'm not picking this passage out because it's really down week of giving, alright? I'm just, this is the next passage and you just need to know what the Word of God says in this. And I just want to make some notes on this, some personal notes. Um, I so appreciate this church. I so appreciate this church. And, and let me share a few reasons why. One of the reasons why is that when I came here, uh, the committee that this church had appointed to search out a pastor stated, we want someone who will make the most important task teaching the Word of God. This is what our committee wants. This is what our church needs. Is someone who makes it their first priority in teaching and explaining the Word of God. And I thank God that most of you agree with that. I thank God that most of you agree with that. That this is my primary responsibility of all the responsibilities that can be done and are done by pastors that you see teaching the Word of God being primary. And so I, I just I thank God that I'm in such a church that sees that and, and agrees with this. And so it's my primary thing before all the other things to make sure I'm teaching and preaching the Word of God, which is why sometimes some of you have a hard time getting in touch with me in the mornings. I just I like to study, especially more in the morning. Okay, that means there'll be some times where you just have to let me do that, where I'm not accessible, not available for meetings and counseling and visits and things like that. Because, you know what I'm doing right now? I'm visiting with, I don't know, 200 people right now. And I'm in this visit with you, sharing with you the word of God that I've been studying and preparing and praying through this week. Now, does that make sense to spend more time on that than to take large chunks of my week and spend it with one or two? Does that make... You see what I'm saying? This is for the building of the body. And so it's how we love one another. It's how we share our burden. Because the fact of the matter is, I I thank God that I get to study the Word of God because it's changing my heart. 
It is changing my life and my perspective. And I pray that the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to show you who God is, that you will trust Him more and obey Him in your life with joy. With joy. And this is what the teaching of the Word of God does. Now, what Paul is bringing out is not something new to him. In fact, it is something that he's taken from Jesus himself. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus, in preparing the disciples and going out to proclaiming the Word of God, instructs them to take no bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And so this is the idea that, that Jesus himself brought out, that Paul is bringing out. Interesting, Paul himself said this is a right but it's one he never himself took up. Never one he took up himself, but one he advocated and brought out. 1 Corinthians 9.11, If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? So the, the, the fact of the matter is, how do we love one another is displayed in how we give. Are we giving to further the spreading of the word of God? I think Abkhazia is divinely appointed at this time when I'm teaching this. Because that's exactly what that is. It's not supporting a pastor here, but it's supporting pastors who are committed to the Word of God, who are not able to go without God's enabling provision and put us in contact with them. And we have a special relationship with them This is a way for us to share and thus bear the burden of the gospel, which is a loving thing to do. So, what's the, what's the big deal about that? Why, why, you know, why that? In other words, you're not persuaded yet? You're talking about my money. (laughs) You're talking about my money. I'm just going to advocate. You need to pray about how you spend your money. Pray about how you spend money. A novel thing? Okay? Ask God what to do. But why? If you're not persuaded, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Now, there's no transition words here. But you need to understand that this is directly related to verse 6. Share. Because God is not mocked. Don't deceive yourself. In other words, daily decisions matter. Lesson number two. Daily decisions matter. What, what, see, God is watching and he's looking. And there's a part of us that says, you know what? This may have not been a poor or may not have been a good decision. Maybe it was a poor decision. But I didn't die. God didn't strike me down with lightning. But you thought about it when lightning was striking, didn't you? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Start having confession. Repentance. Alright? And, and the storm passed and they, oh, okay. Phew. I guess it wasn't that bad. There, there's the thought that because we didn't get struck down with lightning or we didn't get a disease or something bad didn't happen in our life, we're thinking, okay, then I'm good with God. Or we start, when bad things do happen, we start looking back and, oh man, these are all the bad things and this is why it happened. Okay? And we forget that God is a God of grace. Alright, that He is the one who's forgiven us and has declared us right. And, and so don't look at all the bad things that happen in your life as, is this another form of judgment? Okay, it could be a corrective hand in God's working in your life, but God's gonna make that clear. He's not gonna leave you ambiguous about that. He wants you to get right with God. So He's not gonna leave you wondering. It is His nature to reveal when He's working your hand. And trust me, when God is correcting you, you know it's God. There's no confusion. Alright? There's no confusion about that. God does that work. And so, do not be deceived. God does pay attention to our daily decisions. And what he's talking about here is daily decisions of, of them supporting or not supporting someone who is teaching the Word of God. Them being selfish and helping folks or them uh, showing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. It was a daily decisions, and it matters to God. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Literally, You're not turning your nose up to God. God says, I don't let you turn your nose up to me. If you turn your nose up to me, you will regret it. You will regret it. Daily decisions matters to God. We need to understand, God does hold us in account. 
There is a watching of what God does. He is our Father, but as a father to a son, there is a correction. Just as I will pay attention to what my children are doing, to what my sons are doing, what my daughter is doing, I will pay attention. So God pays attention to His children. Richard Niebuhr had said, a God without wrath. We, we present a God without wrath. He brings men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. If we think that God just doesn't pay attention to our sin, then you might as well just do away with the cross. The cross is there to demonstrate and to teach us what God's view is on sin. Daily decisions matter. Now, we'll keep on reading verse 7. God, do not perceive, God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Lesson number three. Now listen, daily decisions determine our eternal future. I get this. Daily decisions determine our eternal future. Future. Now let me explain this. Whatever one sows, that he will also reap. And then he says, notice what's at stake, verse 8. If you sow your flesh, your flesh will reap corruption. If you sow the Spirit, your spirit will reap eternal life. Eternal life. He's talking about eternal destination, eternal life, the quality of your life. Corruption is about decay and death and rotting. Pastor, don't you believe that once saved, always saved? I mean, are you talking about the fact that you can lose your salvation? Are you talking about daily decisions determine? Pastor, I'm not so sure about that, what you're saying. Well, let me just bring it out this way. He has already shared that the work of the flesh, those who do the work of the flesh, unrepentant in the work of the flesh, will not be included in the kingdom of heaven, Galatians 5, but those who have the fruit of the Spirit. He talks about to be saved means that we're saved by the grace of God, means that we have the Spirit of God in our life, that we are in step with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, that this is the manifestation of what it means to be right with God, is that the Spirit of God is at work in our life. He is present. And we are to be surrendered to Him. And if we are characterized by not being surrendered by the Spirit of God, but instead having the works of the flesh, it demonstrates that the Spirit of God is not in our life because it's not something that we can just refuse. It's not something that we can just pass off. The Spirit of God is such that it changes our heart. It changes us on the inside that will go out on the outside. And if we don't have a change on the inside that goes out to the outside in our daily decisions, it reflects life not changed. Life not changed reflects no spirit. Where there is no spirit, there is no salvation. When I'm changed on the inside, it does go out in my daily decisions. And that's why we say the daily decisions determine the eternal future. In other words, it makes manifest, it makes real, it makes evident where our home is and whom we belong to, and that there is a Spirit of God in our life. It comes out in our daily decisions. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. There is a law at work here. If you're investing in your flesh, if you're investing for yourself and making yourself look good and feel good, you're going to reap that. You're going to reap that. It's, it's the same idea. If you put a seed in the ground, it will bear fruit. It's just a law at work. I remember one, one summer we were looking at our yard and our grass and this funky little vine coming out of our grass. I'm thinking, I'm kind of curious. I'm going to let that grow. Just because I'm curious. I mean, it didn't look good, but you know. And sure enough, a watermelon vine was there. I had transplanted, moved, and I think, how did that happen? Because I'm sure I planted grass seed there. Did a grass seed morph somehow, some miracle, and turns a watermelon seed? No, that doesn't happen, does it? What happened? Well, I just threw out some of our rinds in, in the last summer and letting the watermelon rind dry up and water that little plant. And I just let it go and it decomposed. And sure enough, bam, a seed came up and there was... How, how did I know a seed was there, planted? Because there was a vine there. Something happened. 
to bring that. It's the law of return of, of what you sow, you will reap. It determines our eternal future. Some of you who may be more familiar with um, the music scene of today um, heard that Amy Winehouse died, uh, was found dead yesterday. Amy Winehouse may not mean a name to you, but she was a 27-year-old uh, that became popular uh, about three, four years ago with um, uh, a song, Rehab. <laughs> kind of gives you an idea um, what her life was about. And um, I had heard that. And just looked up um, on, online yesterday some of what happened. And the second website down had this website, uh, shocking me, that uh, basically was a prediction. You could go on the site and predict when she would die. In other words, this was something done some time ago. So they had a whole website. And if you were the closest to it, you'd win an iPod. I'm sure, I mean, I'm just like, you kidding me? I mean, here this is. And that's just how this world works. It, it doesn't hold anything sacred. Okay? Don't be shocked when this world doesn't hold life sacred. But who on earth did that? Why did they do that? Well, everyone that knew her knew that she was constantly in abuse, various addictions, various drugs, eating disorders, and all kinds of problems. And so everyone around her could see this and saw the writing on the wall. She's sewing. She's sewing. She's sewing. It's impossible to be involved in what she's involved in and not die. So a whole website was created for this. And she died. Sowing and reaping. Our world understands it. Isn't it amazing how world understands it? Those who are not believers get that. But how is it we don't get it? How is it that we can live our life and we'll wake up in a day and we'll think, oh, things are rushing a little bit late. It's not that, it's not going to be that tough a day. I think I'll just get by with a little prayer here in my car. And I'll be okay. And we've sown very little of trust and heart for God. How does that happen when we think that, you know what? Uh, I can go by weeks and I don't really need to be a part of a church where I'll be reminded of the Word of God. It's just boring anyway. I don't need it. And we sow very little of our heart to God. So very little of a spirit-filled life, where we don't think that we need to be reminded of the precious, exceeding promises of the Word of God, whereby God has given us power to escape the nature of this world. How is it that we don't think that we need to read the Word of God, and we don't need to meditate on the Word of God, and we don't need to promise, hold on, and memorize the promises of these, this Word of God, whereby God uses it to change our life? We sow very little. In the Spirit. How is it that we can fill our mind with songs that are just filled with the things of this world and we think, well, you know, there's nothing wrong. I live in, by grace. God told me through the pastor. He's telling me the Word of God that I'm saved by the grace of God. I'm right with God. I can listen to whatever I want to. And everything is permissible. Not everything is profitable for you. How? What's the danger? Is that your heart no longer is sold out for Jesus and there's very little sowing of your mind on the Word of God and who God is. There's very little sowing going on. Is there any little wonder that there's little reaping in your life? When you see the fruit of the Spirit and you think, I don't see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. I don't see that in my life. But are you being nourished? By the Spirit of God? Are you contemplating God's Word? His nature? His promises? Is your heart stolen by the grace of God of what He has done for you? Has your heart been stolen by the precious love of God? If there's very little sowing in your life, there's not going to be much reaping in your life. 
daily decisions determine our eternal future. If we could wake up in our day and think, how can I know more of the love of God by the end of this day? How can I love God more by the end of this day? How can I know who God is more? How can I think more about what God has done for me? These thoughts to the person who is starving themselves spiritually rarely cross their mind. A believer has come to experience the greatest joy is found in their relationship with Jesus Christ and they long, they long for more of that relationship. St. Andrew says, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. Another person, Lecrae, has added to that. If you do as the Romans do, you will die as the Romans die. It's not, how can we fit in? How can we fit in? How can I be like the others? It, It is understanding, when I go into the garden and I take time to plow or to plant or to fertilize or to weed, it is done with a belief that this will be rewarding. That the, the forces of nature that God has made will work. It's done with that hope. And that's why I expend myself with that hope. And we still know that if a vegetable comes, it's an act of God. Because you can do all these things and still not happen. Alright? So when I sow to the Spirit, it's done with the hope, with the belief that the Spirit of God is with me, the Spirit of God wants me, the Spirit of God is in my life, the Spirit of God will use me to the glory. It is done on the same beliefs like a gardener, a farmer is done on the principles of farming. So too we operate on the principles of an eternal kingdom that God is at work and the hope of glory is Christ in me. So, Every time we allow our mind to harbor a grudge, to nurse a grievance, entertain an impure fancy, wallow in self-pity, we are sowing to the flesh. Every time we linger in bad company whose insidious influence we know we cannot resist, every time we lie in bad company whose insidious influence we know is going to have its effect, when we lie in bed, when we ought to be up praying, when we're reading pornographic literature, every time we, we take our risk and, and sowing to our flesh, straining our self-control, we're sowing, sowing, sowing to our flesh. When we operate with the idea of how do I make my life worth what I think it is, what I esteem it to be, be it religion, money, influence, Reputation, work, materials, cars, or sowing to the flesh. And so let me share with you a fourth lesson. Verse 8. Our eternal future has only two possible outcomes. Our eternal future has only two possible outcomes. Verse 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. Again, that flesh is that ego, that drive to prove ourself. When we are living for that, when we're nurtured and motivated and compelled by proving our self-worth before others and before God, we're operating by the flesh and you will reap corruption. That corruption is the idea of decomposition. Alright? Your life will decompose before you. It's the the idea of a putrid corpse and the process of decomposition. When Lazarus was raised from the dead by the calling of Jesus... He said, Lazarus, come forth. And he told the others around him, remove the cloth from under him. The dead cloth, take it away from him. It is as our church does and that we see a new believer coming and we help them take the dead clothes off, take those things in their life that which they used to be wrapped up in and say, it's no longer a part of you. Now you listen to the voice of Jesus saying, come forth. No Lazarus, no Lazarus is going to come back and protest and say, no, that's my favorite shroud. Bring it back with the stench of decomposition. We who have been called out, who have been resurrected by Jesus Christ, we don't go back and say, let me go back to the old ways of thinking and the old ways of living. 
We've experienced something different, something new. We don't go back. And so we live in such a way where we're sowing unto the Spirit. Because we don't want our heart to be cold to the Spirit. And alive to ourselves. There's two possible outcomes. The flesh reaping corruption when you're living for yourself. Verse 8, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. This is not merely a life that lasts for eternity, but it's God's very own life. It is about relationship. Jesus said in John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. Now, I've shared with you before, and Jesus has taught this, I've explained this, as a believer, it's not how you start. It's how you finish. It's how you finish. The test of faith are those who continue in the love of God, who continue in the Spirit of Christ, who have good works flowing from their life for their life. Not just for a short time, but how they end. You see, it's not a short sprint. The salvation of God is working in me. If there is some point in my life where I abandon the faith and I say, you know, I'd rather live for myself and I will no longer preach the Word of God, I will no longer hear the Word of God, I want to do my own thing, sayonara to my family, let me do my own thing. Mark it there that is a person who has not the Spirit of Christ living in their life. If they continue in that way and there is no breaking of their heart, there is no repentance in their life, then it is made evident, it is made evident that I've not sowed to the Spirit, but sowed to my flesh and I will reap corruption. You say, well, Pastor, you know, it seems like it puts a lot on me. I mean, let me, just, let me share a couple of verses with you. John 10, verse 27 through 29. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Okay, Pastor, I see that. What? You know, it seems to me you're talking about this loss of salvation. Uh, This says you don't lose your salvation. And I say, yes, you don't lose your salvation because God is the one who keeps your salvation. Well, how do you rectify what you're saying? Let me share with you one other passage. John 5, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. You notice that? Notice the tense of that? Has eternal life. Not future, but already is in their possession. Has eternal life. Okay? Um, He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. The gospel teaches that there is a now and a not yet. And so what Jesus is saying is John 5.24, if you believe in him that sent him and you follow him, that you have eternal life. It is good as yours, but there's a not yet still that it will be evident when you die. You live as the eternal life has been given to you right now. I can walk with God. I can talk with Him. But there is a not yet where I will make it evident when I die before God, it will be evident to all that I have had eternal life. And so there's a now and there's a not yet aspect to this. John 10 The sheep hear His voice. And I know them and they follow Me. And God says, they will not be snatched out of My arms. If someone will lose their salvation, it has to be taken out of My hand. And no one can take out of God's hand. But let me ask you this question. How do you hear God's voice? How does God keep you in His hand? How did He put you in His hand to begin with? Was it not done through someone proclaiming the Word of God and the Spirit of God empowering that proclamation? Is that not how it happened? Someone was involved in that? Through the Spirit of God proclaiming the Word of God? It was His divine ordained means like a light switch is used to cut on light? It was His means of bringing salvation to you through the proclamation of the Word of God? Let me just share with you this. Could it be that you hear God's voice and you are kept in His hand by the continual proclamation of God's Word? Could that be? That how does God keep you? 
Is it not by your continual bringing back to the Word of God? Is it not by the continual trusting and the precious promises of God as they come to you? Could it be that even as I speak, that God is using my mouth, using these words through the Holy Spirit, taking your heart and your mind, and it is in this present moment keeping you, warning you, trusting you, bringing you through the Word of God? Could that be how God keeps you? Through the continual reminding of the exceeding precious promises of God. Which, by the way, what is the offensive weapon according to Ephesians 6 of the Holy Spirit? The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. It's His. He'll use it. As I'm studying this, this has come to my mind in a whole new way. That when I'm teaching... And I'm preparing and explaining the Word of God. I'm not doing this just to occupy 30, 40 minutes of your time on Sunday morning. I'm not doing this just to entertain you. I'm not, there's better forms of entertainment, I assure you. I'm not doing this just to give you a neat story for you to remember. Alright? I'm not just doing this so you can see someone excited about the Word of God. I'm doing this. And God could very well be using this to save you. To continue saving you. Not just the initial time of conversion, but the continual working of God to take your heart and mind and keep it close to Christ. <laughs> Suddenly, my responsibilities just stepped up. And my need for the Spirit of God stepped up. And your need to listen with the Spirit of God's help, stepped up. Something for you to consider in all this. There's only two possible outcomes. If you sow to the Spirit, you'll reap eternal life. But if you sow, and, and the consequence, if you're not sowing to the Spirit, then guess what you're doing? There's not an option, third option out there. If you're not sowing to the Spirit, you're sowing to your flesh. You reap corruption. At times of economy, Gold's rising because we're starting to lose faith in investments and dollars. When you see something you know going down, do you keep on sowing into that? <laughs> it's been said, um, I use it as an analogy of the Confederate Civil War. Why would you keep on investing in the Civil War if you know, or in the Confederacy when you know it's going down? Alright? Why do we keep sowing to our flesh? We know in the end it's going to be corrupted. Now, <clears throat> I think what I'm saying, I think about 1 Timothy 4.16. Paul is telling Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself. Referring to Timothy and on the teaching. Persist in this, for, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. What do you think he meant by that? What do you think he meant by that? Luke 10, or Luke 18, 29-30. He said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time in the age to come eternal life. So even your dearest relationship, so even your spouse, so even your parents, so your children for the kingdom of God, and you will not lose out. Which brings us to the next point, verse 9, next lesson. <clears throat> Daily deciding toward God's Spirit will never be regretted. Daily deciding toward God's Spirit will never be regretted. Verse 9, let us not grow weary of doing good. Doing good, this is an ambiguous term. You could say being filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, stepping with the Spirit. You could talk about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. You could talk about sharing with one another, bearing, the, uh, bearing financial resources uh, for the one who will share the Word of God. He, all these things are encompassed within that doing good. Don't grow weary. That's the hard part, isn't it? Um, one time I, when I was in Kenya, um, <clears throat> I befriended a fellow who was just a little bit older than me. And uh, he was an athletic guy. He was uh, from the warrior tribe and, and became a believer and now is a, a pastor. And um, I was much younger. <clears throat> I was about, it was about 10 some, 10 some years ago. And um, I don't know. Someone was bragging about running and racing and fast, and I put my foot in my mouth and ended up being in a race with this guy. A Kenyan? 
And it wasn't like I was here where the altitude's nice and low. No, I was in Kenya, high altitude. <laughs> My jeans. And so I thought, all right, we're going to race to this little marker and back. First hundred yards, I dusted them. I was prepared. I got to the end, waited for him. So, all right, let's go back. What? I wasn't prepared for the last hundred. And he just smoked me. And all of the Kenyans, they, at that particular region, that they, they didn't have many Americans come. And they were amazed at how a white face could turn so red. <laughs> I mean, they were just, like, look at your face. <laughs> I thought I was going to throw up. I was just, you know, trying to find air somewhere. I was good for the first hundred, but that, that last, it's that last hundred that will get you, isn't it? You know, it's that, if, if, if we thought, it's just a week, I can do good, I can be good. But no, he's saying, be weary, don't be weary in doing good. Continue in this. You need to know that the gospel of grace has the power to enable you to endure to the end. Because every day you wake up, the Spirit of God is going to be there. Every day you wake up, you will be afresh and new with the promises of God that He will write before Him, that He's cleaned you, He's made you a son, you're purified Him. And it doesn't matter how your day goes, you end your day as a righteous son of God. That never grows old. Never grows old. And with it is the joy of the Lord that is your strength that gives you the ability to endure. Let us not grow weary of doing good. This is faith working in love. Galatians 5, 6. It's not just be disciplined. Galatians 5, 6. It doesn't count all these right, these religious things, what he was saying, but what counts, only counts is this. Faith working through love. Faith in what? Trust and that God has made you right and clean. You're, the gospel is true. You believe it. You trust in the Spirit of God. It's just like the farmer trusts in his farming principles. You trust in the spiritual principles of the gospel. Faith, believing in that, working through love, that life is no longer about yourself, but the life you now live in the flesh, you live by the faith of the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. It's about him, not about you. And so you don't try to be good and so that God will be good to you. God will look at favor with you because he's already shown favor towards you. You don't be good to others so that they will return it back to you because you've got the love of God. What need do you have of the love of them? It's that trust in that. Endure. Let us not grow weary in doing good. You will not regret it. Why? For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. You will not regret it. There will be a reaping time for all the seeds sown in the Spirit and all the ways that you set your heart on things above and not on things below by the Spirit of God. And all those ways that you laid up your treasure in heaven where there's near moth or rust that can destroy and steal or thieves can steal. Then in all these ways, there will be a reaping that takes place. You know what our problem is? Is that we want the reaping done sooner than later. I'm going, to, I'm going to be honest with you. I, one of the things I enjoy when it's not 100 degrees or close to it is mowing our grass. And here's why. As soon as I mow the grass, I can turn around and see exactly what I did. And it feels so good. <sighs> Look! And I tell my wife, doesn't the yard look so good? <laughs> it looks so good. I mean, there's lines in it. The grass is short. And that exhilaration fills me for a day or two. You know, unfortunately, I forgot about it when the grass is tall. And I look forward to it. Okay, I get another grass because then I get to see what I do. <laughs> I don't know. Pastors, you don't get to see what you do much. You know, what do you do? I've studied, prayed, called, talked to people. What's the end result? I don't know. I don't know. What's the end result of you preaching? I don't know. They all said they liked it. <laughs> that was good sermon today, Pastor. Well, thank you. Thank you. That, I'm just going to tell you, that's not what I'm reaping. That's not what I'm looking for. That'd be a little depressing. Okay? What's the impact of this moment right here? It remains to be seen. Depends. The Spirit of God working in your life. You believing it. Changing you. Living it. I'm not preaching for your education. 
Preaching for your transformation. For the glory given to God. I hope you listen not for your education or your entertainment. You listen for transformation. For God to change your life. To work in your life. To speak to your heart. There will be a reaping day. We may give for Abkhazia. We won't ever see. We may not ever see the people that go. We may not ever see or hear about the results of it. But we believe that there is a reaping day. Just as sure as He put a seed in and God puts the forces together and out comes a plant. So too when we sow to the Spirit, there will be a reaping day. And He says, don't grow weary in this. Because in due season, in the fullness of time, we will reap if we do not give up. This requires faith. Psalm 125, 126, verse 5 and 6, Those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. And let me tell you, you've not gone home yet. You've not gone home yet. And though there will be moments of trend, of tribulation, of adversity, as Paul said, they are nothing in comparison with the glory that is yet to be seen. So verse 10, our last lesson. So then as we have opportunity, this is not referring as random as it may be, opportunity meaning as you have the time available from the beginning of your, your life and birth to the day, this is your opportunity. As you are alive, as you have opportunity, let us do good to everyone especially to those who are of the household of faith. So last lesson is this. So today, stay in step with the Holy Spirit. So today, stay in step with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is working in your life, is calling you, rebuking you, correcting you, encouraging and exhorting you, enabling you. Listen to the Spirit of God through His Word. Take time to listen because you can't stay in step to that which you've not heard. And He is marching and He's walking and working in your life. And our job is take our thoughts, make sure they're held captive to Jesus Christ, take our attitudes and surrender them to Jesus Christ, take our priorities, take our motivations, and make sure they are flowing from Christ and His Spirit and take what we trust in, our disappointments, and take them and give them to Jesus Christ and stay in step with Him. And lo and behold, He will enable you, empower, and motivate you to do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. There is to be a unique mark among the body. Paul said, you guys are getting known for devouring one another. Envying one another, provoking one another. That's not how we're to be known. We're to be known by our good to one another. First John 3.14, we know that we pass out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. First John 4.20-21, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. This commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Today is your field. Every one of you has a field. And today is it. Something's going to come up. And it's going to be evident in time. And what comes up determines is determined by your decisions today. They matter. They matter. Trust in God. Let's pray.